Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on August 14th, 2016, on the basis of John 6, verses 35 through 51. Has anyone ever said anything to you that caused you to think, or maybe even say out loud, boy, you must think that I'm a complete moron. I'm not talking about an actual insult they may have sent your way, but when someone says something that's just so completely ridiculous and yet they still expect you to believe it. We don't talk a lot about politics here at Good News because, well, we like to talk about the good news here at Good News, but it is election season. And even though politicians are notorious for making promises that they can't keep and and claiming whatever they can claim just to get a vote. It seems as though this year we've really taken things to a whole new level. As I've listened to the various messages coming out from various candidates, I, I can't help but think over and over again, if you think that is going to convince the average American to vote for you, then you must think that the average American is just a complete moron. Promises not only to build a wall, but to make Mexico pay for the wall. Promises to offer a free college education to anyone who wants it. Promises to repeal Obamacare. Promises to nearly double the federal minimum wage. By the way, notice I've got two on each side there, so I'm not playing any favorites. If you've been around at all, you know that because of the way that our country is set up, it's just impossible for any one person to have that kind of immediate radical impact. And of course, that's what a lot of people are banking on, right? But you hear a claim that's just absolutely ridiculous, and someone still expects you to believe it, and it kind of makes you think, do you think I'm a complete moron? Believe it or not, that is almost exactly the reaction that these people had when Jesus made his promise to them. That promise that we heard right at the end of the verses that we looked at last week and right at the beginning of the verses that we're looking at today where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Jesus is talking about those deeper spiritual needs that we have as human beings, the needs that that have appeared at the top of that pyramid, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human need that I've been showing you for the past couple of weeks, that deep spiritual hunger that we have for things like value and worth, love and acceptance, purpose and identity in our lives. Jesus is saying... Nothing that you can possibly pursue in life can satisfy that bottomless spiritual hunger. But I can. Everything else that you might pursue to try and satisfy that spiritual hunger, whether it's wealth or success or popularity, those things, while blessings from God, are what Jesus calls food that spoils. In contrast, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. We might say that everything else is just fast food, Jesus offers us a real feast. Jesus is saying, if you have nothing else in life but have me, you're okay. And if you have everything else in life and don't have me, you're not. So it's okay to think it. I'll even say it out loud. Jesus, do you think we're complete morons. 
is this just another promise that someone makes who's trying to get our vote, or in this case, our heart? We're going to look at that question today because it's exactly the question that these Jewish people asked. But first, we're going to listen as Jesus sort of explains and expands this claim that he is the bread of life. When Jesus claims to be the bread of life, he is saying that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Here's what Jesus said. My father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Now, you hear that phrase, eternal life, and I think most of the time, our focus is on the first word, the word eternal, as in the duration of our existence, the fact that it will never, ever come to an end. But it's just as important that we focus on the second word, the word life. You see, in the Greek language, there were actually two different words for life. One was the word bios, from which we get our word biology, simply refers to physical life. But the other word, the word that Jesus uses here, is the word zoe, which means life in a much deeper, much more profound sense. Sort of like when you experience some sort of thrill. Maybe you get down on one knee and you ask the girl of your dreams to marry you and she says yes. And in that moment you think to yourself, man, I feel so alive. What are you saying there? You're not saying that the moment before that happened that you were dead. You're using that word alive in a much more profound sense, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Not just the quantity of our existence, but the quality of our existence. And that's important, right? We care about that. I mean, if I were to ask you, would you want to live to be 150 years old? What would you say? You'd probably say that depends, right? I mean, if what you're saying is that when I get to be 95 and I can no longer walk and everything sort of hurts and my memory and my mental faculties are slowly fading away and then I've got another 55 years of that, no thanks. But if you're saying that age, at age 150 you could be golfing and water skiing and, and playing catch with your great-great-great-great-grandson, then you'd say, yeah, sure, sign me up. That's what Jesus is promising. Not just an eternal existence, but an existence that is absolutely full of everything that our spirit and our soul hungers for. An existence that is full of joy and peace and hope and fulfillment. In fact, this this isn't just another promise, first and foremost, because this is a bigger promise than any politician has ever made. The dimensions of Jesus' promise are are literally infinite. Again, not just in length, but we might also say in depth. Not just in quantity, but also in quality. Not just an eternal existence, but eternal zoe, eternal life. So as we hear Jesus expand and explain that promise, I don't know about you, but it it just makes it all the more ridiculous, all the more backwards, all the more upside down when we realize the things that we are so often so intent on pursuing in life. That Jesus is offering us this feast and so often we are so preoccupied with what we might call fast food. Fast food. 
of satisfying that spiritual hunger, our need for identity and value and purpose and worth with success or beauty or a career or wealth or popularity or or whatever it might be. Jesus is inviting us into this five-star restaurant, and he's saying, don't just get anything on the menu, get everything on the menu. I want you to have all of it for all eternity. And yet we look at our lives, and so often we're just so busy chasing after chicken nuggets and French fries and Mountain Dew instead. Jesus is saying, none of that, no matter how much of it you might have, will satisfy that spiritual hunger, but I, and I alone, will. So here's where we get to ask the question. Jesus, do you think we're complete morons? It's exactly how those Jewish people responded. They, they heard Jesus say that he had come down from heaven, and they said to themselves, wait a minute, we, we know, Jesus, that you're from just down the way in the city called Nazareth. They heard Jesus say that he was sent to this earth by his heavenly father, and they said, wait a minute, Jesus, we know your father, Joseph, and we know your mother, Mary. They understood full well what Jesus was claiming when he said, I am the bread of life, but they they were confused and they were troubled by what they saw, by the wrapper, you might say. It would sort of be like if someone serving you food said, I promise that the food you're about to eat is the best food you have ever eaten in your entire life, not only in terms of its taste, but in terms of its nutritional value. You are going to absolutely love it. But the person making that promise is standing behind one of those counters, wearing one of those hats, serving that food in one of those cardboard boxes, and putting it on one of those plastic trays. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying, but they were troubled by the outward appearance. Jesus was making this big, big claim, but but based on what they saw, they wondered whether Jesus could really deliver. Jesus, do you think that we are complete morons? Do you know what he said? He said, yes. I mean, not in so many words, but in response to their grumbling, Jesus actually said that they should believe his claim that he is the bread of life, not just in spite of the wrapper that they saw, but actually because of that wrapper. That the thing that was troubling is not just some unfortunate detail that they should look past or ignore, but the thing that was troubling them was at the very heart and core of Jesus' claim to be the bread of life and was the only means by which Jesus would deliver what he was promising and claiming. After repeating much of what he said, Jesus responded to their grumbling by introducing one new important thought. Right at the very end, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The very thing that was causing them trouble, the wrapper, his ordinary human flesh was the very thing that Jesus was going to use to make good on his promise. Because that very same flesh would be ripped open and his blood spilled out. That very same flesh and blood offered into death on the cross. I mean, how else does bread feed someone, right? If you're going to eat some bread... What is the very first thing that needs to happen to that bread? 
needs to be broken, right? In fact, as long as the loaf of bread is whole, you will be hungry. But if the bread is broken, you can be full. They thought Jesus couldn't keep his promise because of his flesh. Jesus said, the only way I can keep my promise is because of my flesh. He came to be the bread that satisfies a world full of hungry people. And yet those hungry people, us hungry people, are so often preoccupied with what is fast food. Our priorities are so often not only different from God's, but the complete opposite of God's. And God knew that. And Jesus knew that, which is why Jesus had to come as bread to be broken. That's why Jesus had to come in flesh, with flesh, so that he could offer that flesh on the cross for our eternal life. The thing that they were struggling with was not just some unfortunate detail that he wanted them to overlook or look past, but was at the very heart and core of his promise to them and the only means by which that promise could be delivered. That's important for you and I to remember as well. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the thing that sometimes causes us the very same struggle is not the wrapper of the one who's making the promise, but maybe the wrapping of the thing that he's promising. In other words, not so much Jesus' life. We know how that turns out, right? Not so much Jesus' life, but our life. This, Jesus, this is what people who possess eternal life look like. And just wait, the more you try and reorder your priorities to be chasing after the feast instead of fast food, the more difficult it will seem. You'll look around and you'll realize, man, it seems like I have so much less time and less energy and less money to chase after everything that everyone else around me is chasing after. And this, Jesus, this is the life that you want for me? And as long as I have you, I'm supposed to be happy? Do you think I'm a complete moron, Jesus? Do you want to hear his answer? He says yes. In fact, in just that many words, that's exactly what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says that very often God's wisdom, God's plan seems like foolishness to people. Seems like moria in the Greek. It seems moronic. That the very thing that causes us the most trouble is not not just something to ignore, but is at the very heart and core of God's promise and the very means by which he uses to deliver it. That as we go through this life, anything that we might pursue that qualifies as fast food will eventually show itself for what it really is. Fading, fleeting, failing. That anything that we would work so hard to get our hands around will eventually just crumble and slip right through our fingers, including our own health and eventually our own life. That's why Jesus says what he says over and over again. The one phrase in here that's repeated most often, that as Jesus promises eternal life, it's not simply that that this life will eventually translate or transition into an eternal one. 
No, he says, the way that I'll give you eternal life is that I will raise you up on the last day. I will give you eternal life after a life of struggle that eventually ends in death. That's Jesus' promise. Is it difficult to hear? Is it difficult to live out sometimes? Absolutely. But it should never, ever come as a surprise. You see, we look at that path that Jesus lays out for us, the path that leads to eternal life, but only after a life of struggle that ends in death. And as we wonder, is that really the path that I want for myself and my life? What a wonderful thing that right next to that path, there is one just like it. A path that led to eternal life, but only after a life of struggle ending in death. And that path has already been traveled by our Savior Jesus. Our guarantee that he will do what he says. Our guarantee that when the bread of life promises eternal life, it's not just another promise. Not only is it bigger than anything anyone has ever promised, but Jesus can and Jesus most certainly will make good on his promise. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.